Of course, I got a variant of unknown significance. I didn't want anybody to feel obligated to share information that they didn't want to. Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. You know, people are motivated to do things when something is happening to them. If you don't have something that's immediately pressuring you to do something at the very moment, it is easy to like put it off and put it off. Jamie LaRue is a certified genetic counselor. She began her career at the University of Iowa doing craniofacial genetics research and later moved to family health history software, working at Progeny, eventually serving as CEO of Progeny. She is currently the vice president of products at FamHiz, a company which has built the new FamGenix app that allows patients to collaborate with family members to collect and maintain family health history and to share it with their healthcare provider. Jamie, thank you so much for speaking with me. Yes, thanks for, for having me. So we've been in touch because you currently work for FamHiz, which has the new FamGenix app. And through that, I learned that your father actually has hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Um, so to start with, can you just explain like what does it mean to have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or HCM? And do you know how he received that diagnosis? Yeah, sure. So um, basically, it's when part of the muscles of your heart are thickened. And so that causes people to have a harder time, the heart to have a harder time pumping blood. And so people might have symptoms of chest pain or shortness of breath or just um, getting fatigued really easily. And those were a lot of the symptoms actually that my dad was having. Um, There's other symptoms as well that people can have like fainting or abnormal heart rhythms or even sudden death is sometimes uh, seen with people who have this. So, but yeah, my, my dad, he um, really started having a harder time getting around and just was short of breath all the time. And we joked around that he was just getting old and all of those sort of things. But eventually it got bad enough that it was really hard for him to even, you know, walk more than a few steps at a time. Like he couldn't even go out to the to the mailbox to get the mail um, without being totally out of breath. And, and so at that point, you know, we started thinking we really have to figure out what's going on here. Um, And so he went to see his doctor and, you know, at first they were saying, maybe we should check out your lungs. Maybe there's something wrong with your lungs. And then I don't know if he went and saw a pulmonologist or just another doctor. I don't know, but the next person he saw said, um, this is not a problem with your lungs, this is your heart, and pretty much immediately told him that's um, that's what he had. So, you know, nobody ever talked to him about genetics or anything as far as I know, um, but just given that I was aware of, <laughs> of it being a genetic condition, given that I am a genetic counselor, um, you know, I was aware of that, and, 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 and I started then getting followed as well, just to be sure that, um, you know, I wasn't having any issues. So um, I actually was followed for, for quite a while with no issues until um, actually about a year ago, I started having some symptoms myself. 
of arrhythmias. Um, so that's kind of, you know, where all of this has, has started. But yeah, my dad was diagnosed probably, um, I think he started having symptoms in his 50s, but he had, he actually ended up having surgery to, um, for his heart when he was probably around 60, I think I decided it was after <laughs> doing a little math. Yeah. So. And his doctors never talked to him about the hereditary implications of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy? You know, not that I'm aware of. He definitely never was offered genetic testing as far as I know. Um, and, and he never talked to me about it. So I don't, yeah, I don't think, um, but of course I brought it up right away. So maybe he didn't have the opportunity, but yeah, as far as I know, nobody ever suggested genetic testing for him. Um, and I had brought it up to him previously. Um, but you know, he just kind of was like, yeah, that's sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so pe for people who are listening who who aren't aware what what are the implications of HCM for other family members and what is the what are the hereditary implications sure so it's a dominant condition meaning that um, people who have it have about a 50 50 chance of passing it on to each of their children so anybody who's a close relative also siblings um, could possibly have inherited it from a parent as well so um, my dad has a pretty big family, and we, we've been kind of keeping an eye out on um, who else in the family has. Sometimes I know he's talked to his family members. He has, uh, he's one of 13, so he has a lot of brothers and sisters, and they, they all stay in touch. But I definitely think there's some of them that have had some similar issues, but I don't know that anybody's been specifically diagnosed yet. Um, but... But yeah, there's definitely been some people that have seemed like they were having a little bit harder time or maybe had some early symptoms. Is he one of the younger or the older ones in his family? Yeah, he's sort of in the middle, um, but he did have, you know, one of his older siblings died earlier from, from cancer. And, but yeah, nobody, none of the older ones have had any issues and neither of his parents had any specific you know, uh, my grandpa, he, he had heart issues, but it was more of the standard, you know, he had you know, triple bypass, that sort of thing. So he yeah. never had cardiomyopathy as far as anyone knows, um, or, and didn't seem to have any of those symptoms. And he lived to be, you know, in his mid to late eighties. So it, it doesn't, it's not an obvious family history to me that there's a lot of other people, um, that have symptoms, but definitely, yeah, my dad is sort of the the first person in the family to be diagnosed. Yeah. And when you're talking with him about family history, are you able to talk in person? Do you live close by or how are you communicating? Yeah, so um over the last few years I've I've actually moved around a lot. So part of the time I have lived quite a ways away from him. I more recently moved closer. So now we're still a few hours drive apart, but we we do get to see each other more often until of course of course, until COVID hit. So we, we haven't seen each other as much, which has sort of um, made it more difficult. So he has trouble hearing. He was a farmer and, um, you know, always exposed to louder noises and things like that. So he has some hearing loss and it's a little bit harder to communicate on the phone. So I have, I, a lot of times I have to talk to my mom and try to get information from her and she tries to get information from him. Um, 
so we've we've struggled with that a little bit. Uh, I basically was trying to get more family history information from him more recently, and um, you know I, I decided the the app, the Famgenics app that you mentioned, that is the company that I work for. I sent that out to my dad and asked him to fill out some of his family history, and um, my mom, of course, was helping him with that, and she helped by sending it out to all of his brothers and sisters. So that was actually just recently. So they are starting to get logged in. So I'm excited to see um, what kind of information. I've already got a couple people signing up and putting some information in there. And there's, of course, things that I had no idea about already. So um, yeah, I'm definitely excited to see how that goes because like I said, it's been kind of difficult to to be able to communicate over long distance and not being able to see each other face to face very often now. Yeah. And does your, um, does your dad or do your parents fit into that category of people who are maybe of an age where they're more comfortable on an iPhone than they are on a computer, like emailing? So like an app is actually easier for them to use? Yeah, for sure. Well, I guess my dad is not really tech savvy um, in, in either direction too much, but, <laughs> but uh, he has been using his iPad a lot recently. So he got that for Christmas last year, I think. But but yeah, my mom is pretty good. She uses her, she definitely uses her iPhone all the time. And so I think that was easy for her to do that way. And she was able to like text our family members and tell them, I'm going to send you this invite. And um, people were definitely very interested. I, of course, being <laughs> personally invested in this, having helped design it, I was very nervous about sending it out to everybody and thinking, oh, I hope they like it. It's the natural feeling of you don't want to impose on all your family members. And so I didn't want anybody to feel obligated to share information that they didn't want to. But I think that's the nice thing with this is that if they don't want to do it, they don't they don't have to. And they can just fill in whatever information they feel comfortable sharing. So yeah, I'm definitely excited to see what kind of information. I mean, I actually was... Um, referred for genetic counseling several years ago, uh, but I got this giant packet in the mail, you know, of stuff that you had to fill out ahead of time before they would even schedule the appointment. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny being on the other side of the table, you know, I always felt like, why won't these patients fill out all this information? And, um, but when I got it, I looked at it and I was like, oh, this is going to take forever. And you, and you don't know, and it won't be accurate, right? Because you don't right. really know the answers. <laughs> exactly. Which, uh, yeah, I realize I, I don't know any of this. I don't know any of their, their dates of birth. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know any of this about all my, with that many people in your family, you can't keep up to date on all of them. So yeah, I, I set that paperwork aside and I kept saying, yeah, I'll do that later. And I just never did. And then I ended up um, moving. And so that appointment kind of went by the wayside. and I. I really, it was kind of eye-opening as to, you know, what patients experience or why maybe they don't always end up um, following through on appointments. It's not that they're not interested because I was very interested. I actually requested, I wanted to do it. I just, you know, found it difficult to get over that hurdle of doing all of that yeah. paperwork ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, that's interesting. Um, I, I've, well, I guess I've heard of that maybe just a few places where they really won't see you until you complete that paperwork, mm -hmm. or I guess you would have to send it in with a note saying it wasn't completed. Like either, even if there is a way around it, it's still an additional barrier to actually getting that appointment. Right. 
Like if I would have had an appointment scheduled, I certainly would have done all of the work by the deadline. But given that there was no deadline, I was just like, oh, <laughs> I'll just do this later. Um, right. But later never really came. So. And you you ended up actually getting testing done yourself, right? And I'm curious, did you did you try to get your dad to get testing done, or it seems like that would have been like like so much more complicated, even? <laughs> yeah. So I. You know, I had talked to him in the past a little bit just about, oh, you should, you know, you should consider this. And he was agreeable, but um, he lives in a small town that's a couple hours from any major medical centers where you would be able to get genetic counseling or anything like that. And like I said, I don't think his cardiologist had really um, brought it up or suggested it. And so when I brought it up, it was maybe not a time that he was actively seeing his doctor. And then by the time he went, I don't think he remembered or thought of it or brought it up, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, in order to get him to see somebody, I knew I was going to have to try to find somebody who specialized in that in his area, which is not where I was living and try to figure out how to get him a, an appointment. And then I was worried about you know, what would the cost of that be and all of those things. So I just knew it was going to be um, a struggle to actually get through all of that. And then he would have to travel a couple hours and he also has um, Parkinson's, so it's hard for him to get around. Mm. And so I, you know, I just thought, oh, that's a lot to ask. Um, and then actually what prompted me to get testing was I started having some issues um, about a year ago and I just woke up one morning and my heart was just not going correctly. <laughs> it was just, mm -hmm. you know, skipping beats everywhere. And I'd had, um, you know, in the past I'd had maybe a little flutter here or there, but we're talking, you know, once a year or something like that. And it was for a couple seconds and it was done. And so I never really worried about any of that. Um, but, and like I said, I had, I had been seeing a cardiologist periodically, you know, I think the recommendations are every five years. So I had had an echo and EKG and all of that and everything was fine. Um, but, but yeah, all of a sudden this one morning I just woke up and it just kept staying really irregular and it didn't go away. So I ended up going into the doctor and they said, yeah, you're having uh, PVCs or premature ventricular contractions. And, um, you know, based on the frequency, they weren't super worried about them being, um, you know, concerning. They said people, oh yeah, people can have these, um, uh, they're benign. Uh, Is but stress, I, like dress related or more random than that. Yeah. I mean, it just like, I have no idea what triggered I, the, to this day, it just makes no sense to me. Like why one day it was fine. And then the next day it just started doing that and didn't go away. And so, you know, I felt just knowing my family history, I kind of pushed that um, with the doctor that I was seeing and said, you know, I have a family history of hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So I really am kind of worried about this. And so they um, made a referral for me to a cardiologist. And so I did all of the echo and EKG and all of that again. And um, but yeah, I was still, this was probably a few weeks later, I was still having those abnormal rhythms. And so they ended up um, putting me on beta blockers. And, you know, the doctor that I, the cardiologist that I was working with, she was pretty familiar with um, 
genetics because she actually had worked with a genetic counselor during her training period. So she was excited when I told her that I was a genetic counselor. And so that was, that was fun. And <laughs> it's always nice when you have a positive interaction related to their, like, I know what that profession is. And I think it's yes. great. <laughs> yeah. And I think she had a really good experience. I mean, the person that she worked with, um, I was familiar with their name and I think is pretty well known in the, in the area. And so, yeah, I think she had a very good experience and uh, was like, oh my gosh, genetic counselors are awesome. I'm really good friends with one and uh, everything like that. So <laughs> that was cool. But, um, but yeah, so, she, you know, I brought it up to her and I said, what do you think about genetic testing? I know probably, and I said, you know, I know my dad would probably be a better candidate. And she was like, well, whatever you want to do, but I'm happy to test you because, you know, you're having these, um, these symptoms. So we went ahead and did it. And of course, I got a variant of unknown significance, <laughs> which I knew was going to be the case, basically going in. Which is it. which is so common in cardiogenetics mm-hmm. specifically. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, were you did, so? Did you already have? Did you let her choose a lab based on a lab that she mostly ordered through, or did you have a particular lab you wanted to use, or did you have opinions as to which panel, if you wanted a more targeted panel or something broader, or did you just kind of follow her lead? Just like a genetic counselors are often so opinionated, right? <laughs> right. Those things it's weird to be in, you know, to be the patient and and have that. Yeah, it's it's funny because I. I was not super opinionated about it because, you know, cardiogenetics has never been my area of emphasis. I'm just not really in that in that zone and knowing all the pros and cons of everything. But I had worked um, for for Progeny, which is owned by Ambry, and so I was pretty familiar with their, you know, their testing options and and them in general. So if she was going to ask my opinion, I probably would have just said that just because I'm most, you know, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with them. But I asked her what lab she used, and that happened to be who she already used. So I just okay. went with that. It was also interesting to see how the lab, you know, the lab didn't exactly know where to send the sample, what to do. There was definitely a little bit of, you know, a barrier there. I feel like if you were a patient that didn't know how to help um like the lab, the lab at the hospital didn't know yeah. how to send it out to Ambry, just kind of like the logistics of doing. Yeah, I that, yeah, exactly. They just weren't as familiar with these types of kits or what they were, you know, they had to spend a lot of time like looking at the paperwork. And I was like, do you want me to help with that? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I, I think that was interesting because it's just, it was a place that probably has not encountered a lot of send out genetic testing. And so they... I was worried, like, is this going to get out? Is this going to happen? It did. Everything was fine. But of course, I was like, I knew from my experience of working in a clinic before that sometimes, you know, the genetic counselor will be the one that like, sees it to the right place and make sure it gets out the door. Right. (laughs) Um, Was the blood drawn in her office? Or was it drawn? Was there like a draw site in the hospital? Um, Yeah, it was a draw site. So I, you know, she like handed me the kit. And I took it to the lab and then they drew it there. And like I said, I kind of helped make sure the paperwork was all in line and included. And then just hope they had FedEx pick it up. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but yeah, it all went fine. Um, and like I said, I got the variant of unknown significance. And so then the method of getting my results was a little bit interesting because it, you know, I was tested before 
COVID started. And then the results came back like right after everything was kind of shut down, like right in that time period. Mm-hmm. And so my doctor actually, my cardiologist actually texted me and she was like, I have your results. Um, I don't know how you want to handle this. Like, do you want to set up an appointment? And I was like, not really, because everybody was, everything was shut down. Everybody was trying to, you know, I was like, I don't really need to go into the hospital. Just And to- was she doing probably not formal telehealth appointments at that point? Right, exactly. Arguably texting you is telehealth in some way. (laughs) Right, right. But yeah, I don't know if they had set up like official things. Everything was a little bit crazy. And so I just said, can you please just email it to me? And she, of course, went through the whole um, disclaimer about that not being exactly secure. But I said, did you have I mean, I would I would think that she has secure Email yeah, she did. She did have a secure email to do it, but she just, you know, told me like felt uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly, but no, <laughs> she. I mean, she was like, I'll, "I'll totally do that," but just, you know, I just want to make sure you're fine with that. And I was like, "Yeah, that's fine." We'll be back with patient stories in just a minute. If you would like to speak with a genetic counselor but don't know where to start, Great Genetics is here to help. We know that finding a genetic counselor can be challenging. Here at Great Genetics, we offer genetic counseling in a variety of specialty areas. Whether you're interested in cancer, family planning, or cardiovascular genetics, you can connect with a certified genetic counselor who will evaluate your family history and even coordinate testing if necessary, all over the phone or secure video conferencing. Check out this service and more on graygenetics.com. That's G-R-E-Y genetics.com. So she emailed it to me and... I reviewed it, and of course, you know, that's when I saw the VUS, and I was like, well, pretty much what I expected was going to happen. <laughs> I have no answer, no further answers to my questions. But yeah, so I didn't actually talk to her then after that. I mean, she was very, you know, open and said, what, you just call me if you need anything or if you have any questions. Um, but I think, you know, I think this is one area where being a genetic counselor is kind of, um, tough when people do have a good experience because I think she totally thought I knew more than she did about it and I was like oh this is your area and I was like I don't know I'm not an expert at this so like I said I I think she was totally willing to talk to me more but um, had I been a normal patient I'm sure we would have had a a much more thorough conversation I feel like around those results so yeah um, or maybe she would have I don't know if she had someone that she could have referred you to yeah exactly Um, yeah so now at this point, I um, would like to do the like the family studies to try to figure out, is this a real variant? I'd like to get my, I mean, because now the, the testing for my dad would be free and I think he can get kids sent to home. So I think it would be a lot easier to get him tested now. And I'd like to do that. Um, but again, with the whole family history piece, I, I uh, started filling out the paperwork and realized, oh, I've got to do this whole thorough family history. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go see my dad soon and I'll get it from him. And then, you know, we didn't. COVID happened. (laughs) Exactly. COVID happened. And so I've just been putting it off and putting off. But I finally decided, you know, we've got this app. I need to just try this method and actually try to get a family history because that keeps being um, a barrier for me. And it's it's just interesting because, like I said, you you always wonder why do patients not do this stuff, and then you realize, well, you know, everybody has a life, and it's easy to kind of, if you don't have something that's immediately pressuring you to do something at the very moment, it is easy to like put it off and put it off. 
you know, I remember in school, like talking about what are people's, like what triggered somebody to, to seek genetic counseling now versus some other time and like asking people that, like, what brought you in now? Um, I think it's funny because like I said, I had an appointment several years before and I kept meaning to do it, but never did until like I started having my own symptoms that could or could not be related to that, which <laughs> finally got me to take action, you know? Yeah. And what, um, what have your conversations been like with your parents or potentially with other family members, your father's um, siblings about your own testing and testing results? Like, do they know you've had testing done? And, you know, like, how do you explain variant of uncertain significance to them? Yeah, I talked to my, my dad or, you know, my immediate family um, about it and told them that and I, basically I just said you know I had genetic testing and it was the results were uncertain They're, they found something but it's really not clear whether it's related or just completely normal change there's just not enough information to to know what it means at this point mm-hmm. um, and so I mean that was pretty much the conversation that I had with with them now I have not personally talked to any of my dad's siblings or anything because I haven't been you know, I haven't been in contact with any of them for any other reason. Like I probably would have brought it up like at, you know, our, our family get together that we usually have, you know, around Christmas time, I probably would have brought it up then, um, and talked to people about it, but I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. So I think, um, you know, when my mom sent out the invitation to my dad's siblings for the app, she kind of told them like, Jamie's really interested in family history, especially about heart conditions. She's had some issues and things like that recently. So she didn't, I mean, she didn't say anything about genetic testing yeah. specifically there, but yeah, I mean, I think that's something that I think it'll be interesting if I get more information about other people who have had related symptoms, I would definitely um, specifically want to reach out to them and talk to them more. And I mean, obviously everybody should, should know and should um, potentially be, you know, keeping an eye on things. Yeah. So many shoulds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How did you feel about getting your variant of uncertain significance? I mean, you said that that was kind of what you expected, but did that feel stressful or disappointing? I don't know. I was, uh, I was just was like nervous about what I was going to get because on one hand I wanted an answer. I wanted to know like, yes, this is what's causing this issue and, and have like a plan of action. Like I just wanted to know what am I supposed to do? I don't want to just be sitting here not doing what I'm supposed to to keep myself healthy. So I kind of wanted a positive just so I knew like what it meant and what to do. But on the other hand, I, didn't want it to, you know, I didn't want it to be positive. I wanted to know that I didn't have to worry. This was nothing. Um, mm-hmm. And so then. You got trapped in between. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't know. The way I see it is it's the same thing as before. Like it's no different than the situation I was in before I did testing. I mean, I already knew that I was at risk. I was already being followed. Um, you know, she told me she might not, have, the the cardiologist said, you know, I might not have put you on beta blockers right away, but given your family history, like that's what I would do if you, you know, were at high risk. So I think we might as well just do it. And um, so, you know, I think I'm being managed sort of the same way. I mean, especially, I don't think she would have done it had I not had any symptoms, obviously, but 
with family history plus symptoms. Yeah, exactly. So I think she was leaning towards the more cautious side. And yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much else I can do, but I think doing the family testing would be interesting. I'd like to know, you know, get more information. And um, given the size of the family, if, uh, you know, like I said, I think my mom had mentioned that there was a couple other people that might have had early symptoms. So getting more information from them would be really helpful, I think. And we might be a really good family for a family study with, you know, being as many people as there are. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about the FAM genetics app is, so you create, I mean, correct me if I get this wrong. (laughs) You're obviously more familiar with the app, but like you put in your own family history information. It kind of asks you in a way that feels like a little gamified to me in a good way where you put, you know, bite size and it's not all paper. So it's kind of fun and you're filling this out. And then on the back end, it's generating a pedigree that you don't end up seeing. But if you share it with a healthcare provider, they see a pedigree. But then when you share with family members, they're invited to complete their family history and they have the option to accept or not accept different diagnoses you've put in, right? So if you're like, if I'm like, well, I know... I have I, my I, my sister isn't crazy, but I feel like my sister's crazy, and she's gonna say all these things, and like we fight about it, and I know I'm right and she's wrong. <laughs> like I don't have to accept her changes. Like I'm I'm given the option of like my sister has chosen to update this. Like in my case, like I shared with my sister, and she updated to say like our like my younger brother is very much alive, and I'm like, oh yes, thank you for updating that. You know, ex- <laughs> right. accept. But I could also I could also reject something. So like, exactly, you're not you're not sharing, you're not ceding control. With when you share your family history, you're still the one who ultimately decides what your pedigree looks like, even if maybe you and another family member are going to have different versions of reality. Exactly. Yeah. You each have your own version. And, and like you said, you get notified of any changes so you can decide which ones you, you want and which ones you don't. Um, and the other thing that's kind of cool is that like I went through all the effort of putting in all the, you know, adding all those aunts and uncles and and uh, relationships. And then so when I invited my dad and he invited his family members, they all started out with that pedigree or that, you know, that family list already being populated. And all they really have to do is go in and review what was in there and make any edits or, you know, add just say like, accept, accept, accept. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So I think that is helpful. You know, you get that one person to do it and then it's easy for, for everybody else. So I'm hoping that everybody will put their own information in there. Like one of my relatives already entered something and I was like, Oh, I had no idea. So, um, was it heart related? No, no, but there's also, there's also cancer in my family. So, um, I'm also interested in that. My, uh, my grandma had breast cancer pretty early. And so, but, and then I had an uncle that had colon cancer somewhat early, but again, there's so many people in the family this so is still on your dad's side. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on over there. So um, I've been kind of keeping an eye on all the cancer-related things. But yeah, somebody put in that they had some polyps and stuff like that. So um, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on all of that and see. There might be more and, that I don't that I yeah, know about. And the app at this point, I think it was kind of designed, it's, it's supposed to be, you know, like broadly applicable, but the focus was really on cancer family history also, right? Like there's some models integrated specifically for evaluating family history related to cancer. Yeah, we do have like the NCCN criteria in there. So it will identify if you meet criteria. Um, and then there's also for, on the provider side, there's um, some cancer risk algorithms in there like Bodicea and 
um, Tyre Cusick and Gail classes, all of those. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, within the app, you can really enter any sort of condition, but there are definitely some cancer-focused follow-up questions if you answer that you had specific cancer types that help you um, uh, identify any of that information you would need for the for the NCCN criteria or the or the risk models. So there's definitely a lot of that, which I think will be really useful if, um, like I said, if people start entering additional information. And like, I don't know exactly when my grandma was diagnosed with breast cancer. I just know that she was young, but um, I'm hoping that somebody in my family has a more accurate estimate than what I've <laughs> I've just been going with all along. Or maybe they'll even, I feel like so, so often in family history, you get like, well, I was seven. Exactly. Like, well, it, do you know your own date of birth? Because then maybe, <laughs> you know, like uh -huh. maybe we could work with that. Yeah. And that's kind of where we came, like when I asked my dad about it the first time, that was sort of the way it was too. He was like, well, I think I had just graduated. So, you know, I remember this brother and sister were still young. So she had to be, you know, anyway. Right, that is depending on if you had kids at age twenty or forty, it's definitely uh -huh. different. <laughs> yeah. So if people people listening are interested in trying the app, they can just download it um, in the Apple Store for Android users. I'm I'm terrible with Android's non Apple things, but yes, um, the Google also, Play. Right? Yep. Oh, Google Play. Okay. So, yeah, so the app is in both and that's sort of the patient perspective. And so people can definitely try that. It's free. Um, and then for anybody who's like a healthcare provider, genetic counselor, then there are also free trials for the provider portal where you can actually see the pedigree and, and run those risk models and things like that. Yeah, and we're I, we're in the process of getting that set up with Gray Genetics right now. We're going to pilot it, so mm -hmm. um, having our genetic counselors familiarize themselves with it, and then trying to offer lower price genetic counseling consults initially just for cancer, um, with the idea being exactly like you referred to with that packet of information <laughs> that some clinics mm -hmm. like really want to have before you go in. Because um, I mean, I, I I've, I've gotten a little bit different feedback, but like I would say. All of the genetic counselors so far who have asked about this, um, who've been in practice for several years, have said yes, probably about half the time you, you spend in a cancer genetics consult is going over family history. So if they really had mm -hmm. a pretty completed pedigree before the patient walked in, they could quickly review it um, and spend about a half an hour instead of an hour with the patient going over family history and appropriateness for testing um, and still feel like they weren't really shortcutting it. So that's what we're going to be right. piloting. And I'm, I'm excited to see, to see how it goes and also to see if it's something that some people are, are more interested in just where I think we're going to price it at like 125 mm -hmm. um, and just see if that's just makes it feel much more accessible to people than 200, which is what it usually is for like a, for a full hour consult, um, which is also so much more of a time commitment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. And I mean, you know, a lot of that time spent in the clinic is a lot of times people having to call their relatives because if they're like me, they don't know everything. They need to call their mom or their aunt or somebody. Yeah, and I know. So often I'm like, just just call them now. Just text them now because, you know, if it's not now, right. when does it get done? And then on the phone, they have a follow-up question. But it's like, ideally, like we should be doing this differently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was the whole premise behind this. And the, the idea of being able to, I mean, we had thought long and hard about, you know, how, how to really 
incorporate family members in this because that is the thing. Like one person does another family history. It, it's, it really gets like more accurate when you start asking the other people who are, you know, the generation above you or who are closer to the people who might've had the, the condition or the symptoms. So, you know, just what you said about being able to have your own version of the truth was really the hardest part of figuring this out. And what, you know, we were really focused on is how do we get a collaborative approach for people, but also have everybody still be able to control their own data and not have it shared with every family member if they don't want it. I mean, because people can control and say, no, I don't want to share my information with this person and, you know, this particular person in the family. And then um, they'll get like the remainder of the pedigree and everybody else's health information that does agree, but not, not the one person they'll, you know, they'll see that they're in the family, but they won't see any of their diagnoses or anything like that if they don't want to share with them. So yeah, that was definitely um, the area that we were <laughs> focused on that was the most complicated to, to figure out, but I think the most important for something like this. Yeah. And at this point, the provider, so like for me as a provider with gray genetics, if, if a patient completes this, like I can see a pedigree um, on a on a desktop or on a laptop, not just on the app, but for patients right. at this point, it's all through the app, right? Like if someone's like, oh, I'd rather do a desktop version, I think you're working on that, but it's not available yet. They do have to start with the app. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. But we, we do have somebody working on that right now. And so I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks to see the, the first um, iteration of that. So we'll be able oh, to. Nice. Yeah. So I think that's coming along. And so I think it won't be long before we have um, something available to also do it on the web if somebody doesn't want to do it on their mobile phone. Although it's funny because, you know, <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of people say like, well, more people have phones than computers or things like that. But even with my own family, my mom said, well, I couldn't, you know, so-and-so doesn't have a computer, but they have a, they have a phone. They don't have an email address. So um, yeah, there's definitely more people that have phones. So I think that, that that's helpful, but yeah, not everybody wants to wants to do it on a small phone. So that's why we're getting that that other um, option available. Yeah, based on your experience, I mean, you talked a little bit about the things that surprised you, or just kind of like the barriers you encountered mm -hmm. um, going through this. Just realizing like what patients go through and reasons they don't get to genetic counseling. Did you? Do you have any insights as to changes that could be made to make this? easier, you know, other than obviously healthcare providers being more informed, like if someone had, you know, if you're one of your father's physicians had offered him genetic testing and it was covered and they knew how to draw the blood and send it out, like all of those things, mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, any other insights as to how, how this could be, could be different or better? Yeah. I mean, it seems like important to, to strike, strike while the iron's hot, as they say, because you know, people are motivated to do things when something is happening to them. And I know that can also be overwhelming sometimes if you have a lot going on, but, mm -hmm. um, but it seems like it, if somebody's in the office or, you know, if you schedule an appointment and they, you know, they have that on the calendar, then they're going to follow through and do that sort of thing more likely than if you just say you should have genetic counseling sometime because yeah, you, should, you should really look into this whenever. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a lot easier to, to take action like right away when somebody's either physically there or when they have something going on or to like set an appointment. I think that was important. And then just like you said, to remove any of those barriers of things that make it 
difficult or even just like a nudge here or there, you know, a reminder or something like that would be good. And, you know, every person's different. So I'm somebody who, if you told me I had to do it by a certain date, I would definitely meet the deadline. You know, I wouldn't, mm -hmm. I wouldn't not do it, but I'm really good at procrastinating. So um, I think many of us are like that, or at least mm -hmm. I, I am. So maybe I just find that more relatable, but it's like if, without a deadline, I'm probably not going to do something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I think that that's um, a, a good thing to know, but also just, I think it's important that, you know, I mean, I, I was really lucky that everyone that I worked with was really open to suggestions that I have, but I don't know, had I not brought up genetic testing or had I not the fact that I have a family history, I don't know that it would have really gone any farther than my, you know, primary physician, which, you know, they were managing me and, and doing all the right things. But I think um, just being a self-advocate is, is important and not everyone is as aware of those important things in their family history. So I think that's critical too, is, is people knowing that and knowing when to kind of advocate for themselves. But it's hard to hard to educate everybody about every possible family history item that could be important. Patient Stories is an ad-free podcast and is unaffiliated with any commercial genetic testing laboratories. We would like to keep it that way. You can now donate to Patient Stories online by going to graygenetics.com slash podcast slash donate. If you don't want to make a monetary donation but still want to support the show in another way, leaving a review on iTunes or sharing our episodes through social media also makes a big difference. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.